1: Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. Uh, Talking about the Eagles much of the night so far and the outlook as it pertains to the NFC East after um, another divisional game on Sunday in which the Cowboys are uh, beaten badly by the Washington football game football team. We'll get to that in a couple minutes here as it is time for our Week 7 recap. We'll go through all the games in the league, let you know what happened. Um, and we'll start in New York with the Bills and the Jets. Um, the Jets, who are, I would imagine, in free-fall mode at this point as they are tanking for Trevor Lawrence. Actually play this game close for a while. Jets had a ten nothing lead. You kind of knew this thing wasn't going to hold. I thought the line was weird that the Bills weren't favored by more than ten and a half. Um and a half wasn't I enough? not for this game. The Jets are so bad, Mike. For a divisional game? Oh the Jets are awful. I thought the Bills had the opportunity, I mean, they, they should have beaten them by three touchdowns, but the Bills kind of walk through the first half. They end up kicking six field goals in this game and beating the Jets 18-10. Bills to Bills move to 5-2. and two. Jets really uh, win by losing, I would say, at this point. They are 0-7, uh, and a little comeback-to-earth game for uh, Josh Allen. He was not great in this one. Uh, did throw for 300 yards, but not all that sharp.
3: Yeah, uh, this was a game that felt more like the the Bills were letting them hang in than than like the Jets did anything, um, you know, great or anything. It, yeah, Buffalo just um, it seemed like they were getting the red zone early on, and, and things would kind of go poorly there, either either a sack or just kind of they would stall offensively. But you know, they did more than enough that they needed to do to win this game.
2: Yeah, the Jets are a terrible team, and I, um, and this is a theory. My theory is that. The Jets are not going to fire Adam Gase during the season because they want, They know Adam Gase is the man to get them to 0-16. They know Adam Gase you know, can lose every game. He could get the job done. So I believe that's why he's not going to get fired. They'll wait till the end of the season. Uh, so uh, kind of an ugly game there, but the Bills able to get the win. Next we go to Atlanta, a crazy game between two teams very few people care about as the Lions end up beating the Falcons 23-22, for the second time in two days, you had an inch—an instance where a team pretty much dooms themselves by scoring a touchdown. We talked a little bit about the Penn State game earlier, where Penn State scores. That opens the door for Indiana. Similar situation here. The Falcons could have run the clock out. Instead, Todd Gurley falls into the end zone uh, to give Atlanta a 22-16 to lead. With uh, just over a minute left, Matt Stafford then leads Detroit down the field. They score on the final play of the game, beat the Falcons 23-22. Um, the Falcons invent ways to lose every week. It's truly incredible, Mike. Yeah, you cannot win
3: games until you stop losing.
2: That's true. So. Um, who, said, who said that? Dilfer. Right. Um, and the Falcons just keep losing. And it was such a funny visual. After the game, to see Arthur Blank on the sidelines, do you see that in like his tuxedo style suit? There, uh, no. Arthur Blank just looks like a, a movie villain. <laughs> that that that's how I kind of uh, see him. Um, but the Falcons lose that one. 23-22. three twenty two. They're one and six, and the, the
3: Lions are two are uh, three and three. Got a little dicey on that uh, game winning extra point.
2: It, uh it did 48 yarder oh yeah because there was a personal foul Amendola, yeah veteran that would have been a, a fitting way for two teams who find ways to lose all the time uh for that one to get overtime uh but next we go to Cincinnati another crazy game where the Browns are up 3127 Joe Burrow who Joe Burrows the real deal he leads the Bengals down the field uh scores a touchdown with just over a minute left they go up 34 31. But then here come the Browns, back down the other way, Baker Mayfield leading Cleveland to the late touchdown to put them up 37-34. And then, for some, an absolutely heartbreaking missed extra point as this was a, a Cleveland 3.5 spread. That has got to be brutal for people who had the Browns minus 3.5. And, yeah,
3: and You know, all Joe Burrow does is cover. That's yet another cover for him. I think he's covered every game except week one. When he pushed, um, Joey
2: covers. Joey covers.
3: Um, so, and by the way, the Browns likely
2: lost uh, Odell Beckham Jr. for the season in this one. Not that he was really doing a lot for them anyway. Um, but I don't think that's a positive.
3: He had some game. Like, he had a big Dallas game,
2: right? Uh, so, hey, the Browns five and two. You got to give them credit where they are, where uh, where it's deserved. And the Bengals one five and one. Obviously, that one being the tie with the Eagles. Next up, we go to Tennessee, a matchup of two undefeated teams with the Steelers taking on the Titans. Steelers pretty much it felt like they were dominating this game, mm-hmm. but it ends up close at the end. Ben Roethlisberger throws a bad interception to give the Titans life. They drive down the field. Steven Goskowski, who has had just a horrific season, ends up missing a field goal that would have
3: tied it and sent it to overtime. He was the September special teams player of the, of the month. Was he really? Yeah.
2: All I remember is that first game when he
3: missed all those field goals. He had like three field goals in the whole month.
2: <laughs> really? Shows how much Titans football I've been watching. Well, they were off for a couple weeks. Well, because... September,
3: you know, there's still Ace Mariners going on.
2: That That's true. Uh, so the, the Titans uh, dropped their first game of the year. They are now 5-1, and one, and the Steelers 6-0. and oh, I'm a little surprised by the Steelers, Mike. I didn't think they were going to be that great this year.
3: Uh, I, I don't know if I would have predicted 6-0, oh, but I'm not surprised that they're back to being one of the elite teams. Finally had the quarterback back, added him to an elite defense that gets after the quarterback. Um, I was all over the Steelers in this one. Uh, it, it ended up being, you know, I would say for like 55 minutes of the game, it felt like they were they were dominating, that they were definitely going to win. Got, obviously got Harry in the end, but um, yeah, I mean, it just I, – Tennessee, I think, like it seems like they have a good defense. Like when we think of them, we think of a physical team and kind of a good defense, but they really don't. Like it's a really – it's a – it's a shaky defense that you can do stuff on and move the ball.
2: Yeah, they're relying on Tannehill and Derrick Henry in that offense. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Steelers get the win there. Steelers take on the Ravens next week in
3: what's sure to be a good game in the AFC North. Yeah, Ravens coming off the bye now. Yeah, I think the Steelers would have been, but because of the Titans COVID thing, they're kind of behind there.
2: Yeah, everything got switched up. Uh, next we go to New Orleans. Saints knock off the Panthers in a good one, 27-24. Uh, Panthers fall to 3-4, and four. tough loss for the Panthers. I was hoping they'd win this one, um, mainly because I hate Sean Payton. Uh, and the Saints moved to 4-2 and two on the year. Um, Teddy Teddy Bridgewater playing pretty well, Mike. He's doing a nice job. Your guy, Teddy
3: Two Gloves, as you like to call him. My guy. Uh, yeah, it, was, it wasn't quite a revenge game for him because he was so respectful of the Saints going in. Right. He was talking about how much he loved his time there. So uh, there wasn't really the revenge angle there. Carolina got close in the end, uh, just kind of faltered offensively and, and just came up short.
2: What's going on, by the way, with Michael Thomas? Uh, it, it, hmm. I know he had a setback injury, so he missed this game, but he was suspended for one game. Yeah. It doesn't seem like uh, like that relationship is good with, with the, the, the Panthers s- and the, the Saints right now. Or with, uh, with uh, Thomas, Thomas and, and the Saints, Saints Yeah,
3: um, Yeah, he, he kind of getting the rumblings that you kind of get the feel that he's like the guy that takes things too far and is a little too a little too intense. Um, I don't know, some of the Saints just doesn't feel right, even though they've kind of straightened out their season. The whole offseason didn't feel right. Thomas, Jenkins, uh, Breeze, obviously the, the three of them kind of with that conversation, and then Michael Thomas now fighting people. Something just doesn't feel feel right there
2: yeah and rumors that he could be available for trade mm. um, I, if I was the Eagles I would not trade for Michael Thomas that's a large contract and uh, I don't think that that's that's a guy you really need I don't think receivers are a huge need for the Eagles right now uh, once they get their guys healthy uh, next we go to Washington we talked about this one uh, so we don't won't spend a ton of time on it uh, Washington beats the Cowboys 25 to three Andy Dalton injured he only completed nine passes before he got injured Ben Denucci um JMU James Madison University 7th round pick rookie uh came in and completed two passes after that um this division continues to be a disaster Antonio Gibson ran for over 100 yards uh, that's pretty much all I got on this game Mike uh, Washington 2 and 5 and the Cowboys 2 and 5
3: yeah, I was actually surprised by the Dalton hit just cuz I thought he was a kind of like you know respected enough guy around the league that you know, that's that's not a hit you you put on somebody that you, you kind of have the respect for. Yeah, I, I thought that was a little weird.
2: A real close-knit group for the Cowboys, too. Nobody coming to Andy Dalton's defense whatsoever on a clear cheap shot. Right. Um, and there were some interesting quotes that come out of that after the game. Uh, so we'll get to that in a couple minutes here. Um, but next up, we'll go to Houston. Uh, I thought this line was weird. In the end, the Packers end up winning. They were only favored by three. I thought so, too. Yeah, but they end up winning 35-20. They moved to 5-1, and one. Texans 1-5. Deshaun Watson cannot be happy right now with what's going on in Houston. How did they let Bill O'Brien rip up the team and then fire him? I don't know why you just wouldn't have fired him last year after the playoff loss. Well, he, didn't,
3: he didn't rip up the team. He just kept trading picks for, for Ru- well, draft picks for everything. draft picks.
2: He traded uh, and trade the, Hopkins, the best receiver in football.
3: One of the best receivers. In the I football. think yeah. DeAndre Hopkins is the best
2: receiver in football. But regardless, trading him for a running back is probably not a great trade. We can agree on that, I, I think. Yeah,
3: I, I I think, too, he, he got a lot of, slant, like, a lot of, uh, you know, crap for it. But he was right about Jadamian Clowney. Like, the guy doesn't practice. He's always hurt. He's just kind of like a guy you have to worry about his availability. And, he, you know, he got out of him at the right time. Yeah, I'm not going to give O'Brien credit for anything.
2: Right. Um, next up, we go to Vegas, where Tom Brady keeps rolling as the Bucs Crush the Raiders 45-20. I was wrong on this one. I thought the Raiders um, had a chance to win this. I, I thought the Raiders you know, would cover and have a chance to win, uh, but the Bucks beat up on them 45-20. to Obviously, Brady will be the story, um, and also Gronk's starting to round into form a little bit too, but the real story is that Tampa defense is really good, and now you add Antonio Brown to the mix. They're a Super Bowl contender. No, other, No other way around it. Might be the best team in the conference. Might be. Right now. I mean, they, they looked really good. Um, and the John Gruden revenge game uh, did not go very well. So
3: uh, who do you think would win a game between them and Seattle? The Bucks in Seattle? Yeah.
2: I I mean, I I find it hard to pick against Russell Wilson ever. Hmm. I, I still think Seattle at this point, but a long way to go there. Um, next up, we go to Denver. I thought this was a weird line, too, where the Chiefs were only seven-point favorites on the road. But they roll. They beat up on Denver. Denver. Forty-three to sixteen um, in Le'Veon Bell's first game with Kansas City, he had uh, six carries for thirty-nine yards. Uh, nothing great, but they'll work him in slowly. Uh, the Chiefs are loaded, and um, I don't know when they're going to lose another game. Honestly,
3: yeah. Um, I mean, seven-point. Like I know you're surprised by that lot It was a divisional game. That, I don't know. Like, they're so talented that they're, you're right. They're probably going to steamroll through the rest of the schedule. Um, I, I said that they would go 20 games without losing one. It only got to 13, but they could go 15-1. and one.
2: Speaking of lines, did you see the early
3: line on Chiefs-Jets next week? No. Can I guess it? Sure. 17 and a half.
2: 20 and a half on the road. <laughs> In New York, Chiefs 20 and a half road favorites. Um, and, you know, they could very easily cover that if they care to. Uh, next up, we go to New England, and it might be over. It might be over for Bill Belichick and the Patriots. They get trounced by Jimmy Grapps and the Niners 30 or 3 to 6. Cam Newton completed nine passes in this game. He was replaced by Jarrett Stidham late. I'd assume Cam remains the starter next week. Um, but you got to really question what he has left. His shoulder does not look right at all. Uh, and, you know, he really struggled in this one. So the Niners moved to four and three. Patriots now two and four. Not a good start for them. Um, next up, we go to Los Angeles. Chargers hosting the Jaguars. Chargers beat the Jags 39 uh, 29. Big day for Justin Herbert in his second career start, thrown for 347 yards. Chargers move to two and four, and the Jags fall to one and six. Jags, I guess, trying to outjet the Jets
3: um in trying to get Trevor Lawrence. Uh, that's a bad Jags team like. Justin Herbert is um you know, the ball goes down the field with him. He he's you know, he's he's kind of like the opposite of like Derek Carr. He's um only Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson average more yards per pass.
2: Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh he he he's pretty good. This quarterback crop from this past draft, uh early returns, obviously, but so far looking pretty good, and we'll get a look at Tua. Uh, next week, looking forward to that. Um, so Fitzpatrick can wipe wipe away his tears and, and watch his replacement play. Uh, and last up, the Sunday night game, which was a fantastic one. I watched most of it, heard the end of it coming in. As the Cardinals stormed from behind, beat the Seahawks 37-34. Speaking of good young quarterbacks, Kyler Murray, the real deal. He throws for 360 and three touchdowns in this one. Um... This kind of had the feel as a game the Seahawks were were due to lose at some point, and this is the best division in football. Um, could possibly get four teams from the NFC West in the playoffs. I doubt it, but not impossible with that added playoff team.
3: Yeah. Uh, I remember we talked about that being a possibility when we did our season preview on, right. on your show. Yeah, Seattle, they go from – it looked like they won it on a 50-yard Metcalf touchdown and then gets called back on a holding – and it, they had to call it. it. It was a legit holding, so you know you understand that. And the very next play, Russell Wilson picked off. By the way, the play that DK Metcalf made in this game, where
2: Buda Baker intercepts the ball on the goal line, and DK Metcalf—I've never seen anything like it. Uh, and um, we'll, we'll we'll play it coming up for you in the next segment. But um, it was unbelievable. I don't. He might be the best athlete in the league. He probably is the best athlete in the league. Uh, but the way he ran down Buda Baker was incredible. If you haven't seen the video, uh, check it out. But um, it's frustrating to watch DK win Metcalf week after week after week and think the Eagles could have had him. Uh, but uh, Cardinals win that one. Uh, Cardinals now 5-2. and two, Seahawks 5-1. and one. That will do it for the Week 7 recap. Um, Monday Night Football tonight, a good one. You got the 5-1 Bears. At the four and two Rams.
3: Uh so we'll see if Nick Foles can get a victory. Pretty big underdog. Six I'm points. A surprised. Yeah. I lean toward the Rams in this one, but six is six is a, a large number. Yeah, I think the Rams win, but the Bears cover.
2: Yes. Agreed. Uh so that is the week seven recap tonight. Um, and we will be back with the week eight recap next week. 215-592-9494. Let's get Art in the Northeast in here. What's up, Art?
4: Hey, Tom. How's, How's it good? going? Good, how are you? Good. Uh, two things I'd like to get in both hands. Oh, uh, sure. well, let me start off with this. If I ever saw a coach that should get fired during the season and not wait till the end of the season, it's Dan Quinn of the Atlanta Falcons. If I was that. He, he got fired a couple of weeks ago, Art. Oh, just kidding? Yeah. They... Oh, boy, I'll tell you what, I'm getting old, man. I'm really starting to lose it. You better watch out for me on here. No,
2: it's a good, I Art. Apologize. It's tough to, no, it's I, tough I, to it's tough to follow did.
4: everything. There's so much stuff. I to no, I did know that, and I just uh, I just lost it there. But uh, anyway, um, my, I'm right on board with you, fully on everything you had to say about Wentz and that he's looking better. He does find that where to win games at the end, but he's been creating those negative situations during the game. Oh, it's not all him, but in a lot of situations where he put himself in that state, mm-hmm. I think things are looking up for him. Uh, I think he's going to be, uh, you know, with these late game heroics uh, the last couple games, games, um, I think his confidence level is really going to rise. And I think he's going to start games a little better now too, but I'm right on board with you. Uh, everything you said uh, about him um, was dead on accurate. Uh, he could have been better. Um but he's showing uh he's showing something too. Um my next point and I'm gonna bring this up, and I think you were one of the guys who said um that I this this is very petty uh what I'm about to say. I'm gonna okay. bring up the subject of Tom Brady. Fireways. Uh, oh. Let me let me acknowledge that Brady's playing super. I've always respected him. Uh, I always thought he might might just about be the goat as far as quarterbacks or or whatever. I think he's great. I always did, but something's really bugging the hell out of me. What? And uh, what is that? After these games that he wins, he's hugging Aaron Rodgers. He's hugging a Derek Carr, and he's spending time doing. It. I think Brady personally, and this has nothing to do with his talent. Is nothing more than a poor sport, big baby, and the way that he's uh, treated foals uh, at the end of games by not not going out and purposely uh, at least acknowledging him or yeah. anything like that. It bothers me. It's
2: bothering and a lot of people, Art. I mean, it doesn't bother you
4: though? Am I right?
2: Tom? You know, no. After the after the Bucks Bears game, it did bother me that he didn't do that. I mean, it, it's not right to do that that Brady's, a, and he is a sore loser, and I think, I, I mean, honestly, I think, I'm not going to lie, I think it's part of what makes him great, is that he, he wants to win so badly that he gets very frustrated when he loses. I'm not defending what he's doing, but, I mean, I, I don't know, it, it's just not something that I, I care that much right. about. Right,
4: I thought that was your take on it, yeah. and with that, I'm the opposite. I mean, it just bothers me to know when that he's such a, I mean, he comes when if you ever see his post-game interviews. When things are going good, he tries to be He this and that. Right now, I would just have to say, personally, I just can't stand the guy. And I now I have to just root against everything about him. Yeah. Sorry, Tom. I, I just That's had to, fun. I just, I just had to get that in. I just, it's fine, uh, Art. I, I just had it with him. And now I found a reason to really – I never rooted against him before. I yeah. mean, if they were playing the Eagles, of course. Um, but now I just – I, I can't stand I can't stand I, what he did to Foles. I got you, I Art.
2: I got you, but man. Anyway, I, I appreciate thanks, it.
4: Yeah. Thanks for your time, man.
2: No problem. Thank you, Art. Yeah, I, I get it. And a lot of people are frustrated with the the Brady snubbing of Nick Foles. I mean, I, I it's not right. Like it, Brady shouldn't be a poor sport like that. He should go shake the guy's hand after a game. He's a sore loser. So are, are most of the guys who are at the top of their game. Like Michael Jordan was a sort Michael Jordan hates like everybody he played with. Um LeBron James walked off the court after that game in the finals uh this year. Like I don't know like yeah you you should go shake the guy's hands but am I going to stay up at-, at night cursing Tom Brady because he didn't shake Nick Foles' hand? No. I, I don't know. I don't really care that much.
3: About him. Well like the last time they met before this covid world they did shake hands. So it's like I don't know. I thought when they shook hands like the story ended.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, Brady's a baby when he loses. He is because he especially after the Buck Bears thing because he, he didn't do it after the Super Bowl. That was wrong. I guess after a Super Bowl though. I, I don't know. There's so much going on. But with him knowing that that happened previously to do it again, I think was intentional. I honestly I think Brady was pretty embarrassed that night because he forgot the the down, that was the night he forgot that right. it was fourth down. Um but yeah, there's no defense for it, but it's also not something I'm gonna no, there, curse there Tom Brady about and root against for them forever. It.
3: There is a defense for it. It was remember that week. Not really. There is mean, no sport listen, in th- that week in the NFL. A lot of people were were coming down on Pat Mahomes for hugging Stephon Gilmore. Um, at the time, he didn't realize he was infected, but it, you know later <laughs> on he found out he was so. Right. It, that was a talking point around the NFL that week. That you know these players need to be careful oh. with their postgame hugs and celebrations. Give me a break, Mike.
2: But, it, like, Brady was not. That, go that out. was
3: a real story.
2: Brady did not did not avoid shaking Nick Foles' hand because he was worried about being in, infected with the coronavirus. Right,
3: then why? That, did she- that's a that that is a real stretch of a take there. Why did he shake his hand last time then? If he has such a problem with him, last time when when, when last time it, uh, August of eighteen. Oh, because he beat him that night. That
2: was, a, that was that preseason game yeah, when the, so the
3: most recent time they linked up, he did shake his hand. Yeah, but before the, the COVID, Patriots won that game, and it was preseason game. Uh, did the Patriots? I don't even remember who won that game.
2: They did. Uh, no, I remember specifically because um, we had theorized that that Belichick and Brady wanted to embarrass the Eagles that
3: night because they were still mad about the Super Bowl. Oh, we did.
2: We did. I, rem- I remember. I remember. W- I specifically remember because I was working with Angelo in the morning team at Borgata that Friday morning. And the game was Thursday night. I remember watching yeah, yeah. the
3: game in my room down there. You're right that they did. Uh, I Patriots know. Patriots won 37-20. You
2: don't need to tell me. I know I know. I was right. Nick was 3-for-9 in the game. Yeah, he was. but he was... Remember that preseason was awful. He was terrible, yeah. He, he had that game, then the next the, week the against Jackson, the Browns. Bro. I thought it was Jackson. It was the Browns. Okay. Um, But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm an expert on the 2018, 2018 Eagles preseason. <laughs> preseason. That's my wheelhouse. Uh, 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. Uh, I, I do got to get... To Doug Peterson when we get back because um, Doug did not have a good night on Thursday night and I think the Eagles need to kind of take another look at how they're their calling plays, especially in critical situations um, because Doug hasn't had a great year and we'll get to that a little more when we return. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham Sports Radio 94 WIP. <clears throat> Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. Uh, We haven't made fun of the Cowboys enough tonight for their 25-3 defeat uh, at Washington on Sunday. And next segment, I want to let you hear a, a report from an NFL Network report before the game because she spoke to Mike McCarthy before this game. And Mike McCarthy, who has shown this is how he got the Cowboys job by demonstrating to Jerry Jones a deep understanding and a deep commitment to analytics, a renewed approach to analytics. And he really went with a a deep dive into the statistics and how he can win the NFC East. And uh, we have this report for you next segment because, uh, man, Mike McCarthy must have gone really deep into the numbers uh, to find this stat. Uh, So we'll get that in next and also talk about the fallout from the Andy Dalton hit where um, Andy Dalton knocked out of the game and and not many players came to his defense and uh, a little story uh, that came out of that one from the Cowboys locker room. So uh, we will get more into the Cowboys and their loss to Washington uh, coming up in the next segment here. But um, to revisit the Eagles for a moment here. And, you know, we've obviously been talking for the majority of the night about the Eagles and where things stand right now. And I mean, I couldn't be more confident that they are going to end up going to the playoffs and they are going to win this division. With what the Cowboys have devolved into without Dak Prescott, they are not a, a playoff team. They're 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 not even an average team. The Giants, we know what they are. I don't see the Giants uh, going on some run. I don't see the Giants really getting a whole lot better than they are. And Washington is probably the second best team in the division now. But you look at talent, you look at track record, I just don't see any way, barring some sort of catastrophic collapse, the Eagles don't win this division and win it easily. And that is with all the issues that we've seen. Uh, an inconsistent quarterback, a defense that, Has struggled at times. All the injuries. Uh, The Eagles should get these guys back. They should get healthy toward the end of the season. And they have a track record. Of playing their best football. In December. Under Doug Peterson. Especially the last two years. When they have truly needed to turn it on and play well. They have done so. But. One thing that kind of concerns me moving forward here. and, And. It really. Worried me Thursday night was Doug Peterson as a play caller. Like, I don't have any concerns with Doug when it comes to motivating his team. He has shown the ability to do that in the face of any situation. In the face of adversity, the Eagles play their best. They seem to respond when their backs are up against the wall. Whether it be last year when they're 5-7 and seven coming off the Miami loss, the year before, coming off a tough Dallas loss, losing Carson Wentz for the year, uh, Nick Foll steps in, they go to L.A. as half point underdogs and find a way to win that game and get their season back on track. That is the most important thing that you need as a coach in this league is to keep your team playing hard, keep your team motivated. I have no worries for a Doug Peterson team in that regard. But I am worried about the play calling, especially in critical situations. Now, you look at the job Doug has done this year, it's been very mixed. I think you've got to hold him at least partially responsible for Carson Wentz's continual turnover issues. You know, that's mainly on Carson Wentz. He has got to make better decisions. You shouldn't have to coach up a fifth-year quarterback so much on... Uh, the on the the fact that you can't turn the ball over and you got to make better decisions, those are things that Carson Wentz in his fifth year should just know. He should he should know at this point you can't throw the ball across your body in a situation where where a guy's well covered. You can't just chuck it up to the end zone to John Hightower when there are three defenders in the area. Like those are things Doug should not have to tell Carson Wentz. But if the message isn't getting through, and if Carson Wentz continually makes the same mistakes and continues to make bad decisions, continues to be reckless with the football, there are things that Doug Peterson needs to to drill into Carson Wentz, for lack of a better term. And obviously, that isn't happening. When you see these issues continue to present themselves... And these turnovers continue to happen, things that the Eagles so far in a couple instances have been able to overcome. But long-term, you're not going to beat good football teams by making these kind of mistakes uh, and and putting your team in a situation where you need to come back in the fourth quarter, game after game after game. But also when you look at play calls, that just don't make any sense. Like, I watching that game Thursday night, I thought it was one of the worst games Doug Peterson has ever had as a play caller. And especially in big moments, just leaving his team so few options. You look at the quarterback runs, whether it's Jalen Hurts or Carson Wentz, especially the ones with Hurts. Like, wasn't the reason you drafted Jalen Hurts to present another option? Like, obviously, it's going to add an element to the run game where defenses can't just collapse on the running back. They need to respect Jalen hurts. They need to respect his ability to take ball outside and make plays with his legs. But the play in the red zone where he calls one for Jalen hurts and he runs the outside and it's basically just a quarterback sweep. Why does he not have an option to throw the football on that play? Isn't that the reason you drafted a quarterback to run those kind of plays? Uh, Elsewise, you can run that with with Greg Ward. You can run that with a wide receiver. The point of having a quarterback is that he has the option to throw the ball. And when you're running a play like that and you have your receivers out blocking, if they're running routes, that is accomplishing the same thing as blocking because the defenders have to defend the receiver. So I don't understand how on those kind of plays – He's not utilizing these quarterbacks in the quarterback runs and giving them options to throw the football. To me, that defeats the purpose of, of running Jalen Hurts anyway. I didn't get that. The throw to Butler on fourth and goal. I mean, I don't know what that call was. First of all, I don't know why you throw a goal line fade. I think it's a terrible play call when... You only give yourself one option. You don't give yourself, you don't give your team, you don't give your quarterback anywhere else to look with the football. And on top of it, to throw it to a guy who I didn't even know who he was when the Eagles threw the ball up to him. He hasn't been targeted all year. And in a critical spot on fourth and goal, that's the decision you make. Who is this guy? Exactly. Thank you, Paul. You're going to go to... What is Butler's first name, by the way, Mike? Uh, I'm blanking on it. I had it. Hakeem. Hakeem Butler. Um, Why are you running that play to that player? It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, so far, and when you look at it in the bigger picture, I think you need to look at the overhaul of this offensive coaching staff as a failure to this point. You bring in... Rick Scangarello from San Francisco. Denver. You, uh, I believe he was in San Francisco last year. Denver. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll check it out. I I think I'm right here. I'm not going to start an argument at, right now. Maybe in theory he was in San Francisco, okay. but he actually was in Denver. Check during the break. Uh, you bring him in. You bring Marty Morningweg in. These guys are supposed to add to the offense. They're supposed to add creativity. They're supposed to... You know, give Doug different, uh, you know, different concepts, different ideas. And I still see play calling at times that is very vanilla. I still see spots in the game where you, I mean, you look at Thursday night, you're going basically three full quarters. Not getting anything going offensively. And there are a lot of reasons for that. The offensive line was banged up and didn't play well. Carson Wentz didn't play well. But as a coach, you need to be able to call the the right plays to get your offense in a rhythm. Doug and these offensive coaches were not able to do that. and And, you know, we've seen that many times this year. Where this offense does not have a lot of creativity. They are not doing the unique things they did back in 2017. And I wonder if Doug Peterson's trying to do too much himself. Like, is Doug Peterson not taking the advice of some of these assistants that the Eagles have brought in? Is he trying to take too much responsibility on himself in structuring the game plan and calling the plays and doing all of that because... Um, you've seen this offense at times this year just go into too many ruts. And so far, the overhaul of the offensive coaching staff hasn't really worked. It's looked very similar, uh, to, to the last two years when Mike Rowe is the offensive coordinator. And you can put some of that on injuries, you can put some of that on Carson's play, which needs to be better, and he needs to play less recklessly. Um, but I wonder if Doug needs to delegate a little responsibility on the offensive side of the ball. Because, you know, we always talk about 2017 and we talk about John D. Filippo's impact on the offense and Frank Reich's impact of the on, on the offense. And whether it's Doug not trusting his assistants or, you know, trusting him too much, I'm not sure. But the Eagles need to figure out a way to get this offense jump-started and, and not go into these kind of long sustained ruts where you're not moving the ball and, uh, you know, you're turning it all over and you're having negative plays um, because that was awful Thursday night and uh, one of of Doug's worst games as a play caller, certainly, and an area where he he definitely has to improve moving forward. 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. When we get back, we'll talk a little more uh, about the Cowboys, this Andy Dalton injury, and this uh, deep dive into analytics that Mike McCarthy did um, to uh, uh, show the importance of this game on Sunday that Cowboys ended up losing anyway. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. With
4: six different receivers, and this time
0: he's picked off at the goal line. That's Buddha. Blue- Baker, Buda Baker out in Can Metcalf track him down. Can he chase him down? And he does to save a touchdown.
2: Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. That was Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth on uh, Sunday Night Football on NBC. And if you haven't seen this play, you gotta you gotta look it up. What DK Metcalf did on this interception by Buda Baker was. One of the most incredible things I've seen, one of the most athletic plays I've seen a, a player make where Buda Baker looks like he's he's gone down the sidelines. There's nobody near him. He catches uh, an interception from Russell Wilson in stride. And DK Metcalf just appears into the picture. And it looks like Usain Bolt just tracking him down and tackling him at the five-yard line. The D.K. Metcalf thing is going to hurt for a long time. Like, he is going to end up being possibly the best receiver in the NFL. He's incredible. He should have had a game-winning touchdown um, at the end of this game in overtime, uh, but it called, got called back on a holding penalty uh, against Seattle. But if you haven't seen this play, uh, check it out, because it was incredible uh, to see D.K. Metcalf track Buda Baker down on this play in Sunday night game, which was a fantastic game.
3: Between the Cardinals and Seahawks. I know this one got flexed into it, kind of, but that's... It's less Seahawks on Sunday Night Football. I think that's their third Sunday Night game
2: I've yeah, seen before. So what's up with that? I feel like the same teams are playing in primetime, like, every week. Yeah, I they, feel like it's been Seahawks, it's been the Saints.
3: That, that happened in baseball this year. Like, the, the Braves were on Sunday Night Baseball every year. Or every uh, week, for some reason. And nobody watches Sunday Night Baseball, I feel like. Hmm. Not unless it's A's and Mariners. But... I was watching Saturday night baseball tonight. I I didn't watch the well the, tonight game was like the other. world.
2: It was the World Series. We'll talk a little bit about World Series next segment. I, I Mike wants to talk about his boy Kershaw. I I thought it was an okay outing. I thought the Rays really yeah. let him yeah. off the really let him off the hook in that fourth inning. He was ready to choke. He was begging to choke that game away. And the Rays the Rays just gave gave it to him. And, and you know it, I'm not an anti analytical person. But analytics, I, I think, really did come back to bite the Rays in that inning. They, 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 Their approaches in that inning were, were terrible. Uh, I see you making a face, Mike. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, I look second. forward to this. And you were right about Rich uh, Scangarello, by the way. He I, was with
3: Denver last year. I was, I was wrong about that. I had that. 0% doubt. Okay. Well, so, congratulations. You were right about something. I'm just saying. You didn't need to tell me I was right. I know I was right. Okay, great. Um, but,
2: uh, you know, uh, on a Sunday where the Eagles weren't playing, Obviously, our attention was mainly on the, the barn burner uh, in Landover, Maryland, between the Washington football team and the Dallas Cowboys. And the Cowboys are, are terrible, um, and they're now coming in here this week, whether it's Andy Dalton, whether it's Ben DiNucci, I think is the guy's name, uh, who is their third-string quarterback, or as Mike in South Philly predicted earlier, um, that they'll trade for Ryan Fitzpatrick. There is no reason why the Eagles should not destroy this team on Sunday. Um, And it really illustrates how important Dak Prescott is. It's kind of crazy. We were talking a few weeks ago about Dak's injury and how this was going to cost him all this money down the line. I'm not sure it will when you look at the team now and you realize, wow, Dak Prescott was probably a whole lot better than we thought uh, because without Dak Prescott, uh, this team is terrible. And it doesn't matter how many weapons they have at wide receiver. It doesn't matter if they have Zeke Elliott. It, it, if they don't have Dak, he's really the one that makes that offense go. And the last couple weeks, uh, they have, have looked anemic offensively. And a lot of that is due to the fact that they have Mike McCarthy. And Mike McCarthy, I have thought for years, was one of the most overrated coaches in the NFL. Uh, you'll look at his success in Green Bay, and yeah, his overall record looks pretty good. Um, they had a lot of success in Green Bay. I would tell you that a lot of that success and much more of that success has to do with the quarterback than it does the head coach. And, you know, it's kind of, risky to to totally say this about New England yet but it's kind of looking like that with the Patriots as well where as and I'm not saying Bill Belichick's not a tremendous coach but you look at what's happened this year with Tom Brady and Tom Brady goes to Tampa Bay and all of a sudden Tampa Bay's really good Bill Belichick doesn't have Tom Brady anymore and the Patriots are 2 and 4 quarterbacks are the most important thing that a team can have, and they can make even a, a bad head coach look pretty good. And that's what happened with Mike McCarthy for years in Green Bay. Because as, as many times they went to the playoffs, uh, winning one Super Bowl and only getting the one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers is borderline criminal. That you cannot give yourself more cracks to win championships with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time which uh, before Patrick Mahomes came around, I thought Aaron Rodgers was the most physically talented quarterback I've ever seen with the ability to both use his legs and use his arm. Um, I've never seen a quarterback uh, as physically gifted. I think Brady's better. Brady is the best all round quarterback I've seen. Um, But Rodgers was tremendous, and he made Mike McCarthy look a lot better than he did. So Mike McCarthy gets the job in Dallas. And uh, apparently a big reason why Mike McCarthy got that job was his newfound commitment to analytics. And I saw this report before the games on Sunday. This is uh, Kim Jones of NFL Network. Um, and she met before this game with Mike McCarthy. And Mike McCarthy had just a an unbelievable pool of a statistic uh, to uh, show the importance of this game with Washington on Sunday.
1: Thanks so
3: much, Aditi. You know, this week, Mike McCarthy was saying there's research that shows that once a team gets to four division wins, it's likelier to win the division. But he and
1: Ron Rivera know that in this NFC East, anything can happen.
3: How,
2: Mike, how far do you think McCarthy dove into the analytics books to come up with that stat? That the more games you win within your division, the more likely you are to win the division. That. that that's that's very illuminating information.
3: I agree. Yeah, because uh, presumably, if you're if you have four wins, you've beaten <laughs> you've beaten every team at least once.
2: Yeah, I I love how uh, Kim Jones uh, reported that as if it was some kind of like earth shattering statistic, and I I only think she reported it that way because that's probably the way McCarthy told her the information. Is McCarthy was probably stunned by this? I imagine Mike McCarthy looking into it and being like, "Wow." If you win re- if you go at least four and two in the division,
3: you got a decent chance to win the division. That's crazy. I I picture his delivery of that to to Kim Jones the way you know how serious Wendy gets what Brian Windhorse gets when he's delivering like news. Yes. Like I I think Mike McCarthy had like that kind of tone and, and demeanor when he was presenting that fact to Kim Jones.
2: I like I imagine Mike McCarthy actually thinking that's analytics like when he told Jerry Jones that he had re- had a renewed interest and renewed faith in analytics, I think he literally just meant looking at like division and conference records and correlating that to success. Like if we have a better division record, we have a better chance to win the division. It's pretty earth shattering stuff. I got to give Mike McCarthy uh, credit. That, that That's, that's pretty impressive pool there to go that deep into the uh, analytic books.
3: I agree. Uh, I gotta say, I, I thought of a, a quarterback they should trade for uh, better than Fitzpatrick. Who? Jameis.
2: That would be funny.
3: That would be fun. I would.
2: I, <laughs> I. I forget where I heard this, but somebody was asking who would be a funnier quarterback to see happened to Daniel Jones, then Daniel Jones, like, on that long run, and I immediately thought of Jameis. Like, that is a prototypical Jameis play, where he's running 80 yards down the field and all of a sudden trips over his own feet. And he fumbles. Right, that's the only thing that would have been better with Jameis, is he would have just fumbled the ball into the end zone, and the other team would have gotten it. Uh, but... Yeah, Mike McCarthy um, coming up with that kind of statistic that if you win more division games, you're more likely to win the division, uh, I thought was funny. But Mike McCarthy also had some um, uh, criticisms for his team after the game because you watch that Andy Dalton play. One of the things, and it was a, a complete cheap shot by Jonathan Bostic, the linebacker for Washington, as Andy Dalton sliding down and completely leads with his head into Andy Dalton's into Andy Dalton's head, and this guy should be suspended, um, at least for a game, maybe maybe several games, because that's the kind of that's the kind of hit that you're trying to eliminate, and the kind of hit that you can't have, and and really does endanger um, player safety. But it was striking, and, and it kind of speaks to where the Cowboys are right now. That nobody on that team. Stuck up for Andy Dalton in that spot. Nobody went after Jonathan Bostic. Nobody uh, did anything to stick up for their teammate. And this comes on the heels of Cowboys players after last Monday night basically saying, yeah, our coaches don't know what they're doing. They said that about McCarthy and his staff, that our, our coaches, they don't know what's going on. And they've already been openly critical of this new regime. And Mike McCarthy said after the game that, he was disappointed in the way his players reacted to that situation, which I mean, I guess I give him credit for calling some people out. But uh, Zeke Elliott says after the game, uh, "Yeah, I think that's fair, uh, but we got we got to be careful as well. We don't want to get a penalty ourselves." So uh, Zeke Elliott didn't seem that worried about Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton getting hit. <laughs> I don't think Zeke uh, really really. Cares about what happens the Cowboy season now. Yeah. He yeah. got his money. He's good,
3: right? For a couple more years, still. Yeah, because I don't think they can, they can do anything with him. It's a lot of dead cap. Um, but they, it, that was a terrible move. They should have just traded him. They eh, they kind of had to. He no. was the, he was their offense.
2: He he's not though. Running backs they're expendable. And you look at Zeke. He, he doesn't look like the same player anymore. Like he's only a few years in. And he he doesn't look like he has the same kind of burst he used to have. Is that the coronavirus? Uh, I doubt it. I, I think he's just... The look out- at what, what Scott just, Kingery. Yeah. Scott Kingery might just stink. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably a more likely scenario. Um, but uh, it, nobody's sticking up Randy Andy Dalton and criticizing coaching staff. If the Eagles don't beat this team by two touchdowns, I'll be disappointed next week. What's the spread? It's a seven and a half is what I think I saw. Okay, I wasn't sure if it'd be out with Dalton hurt. Yeah, I mean it should be. Uh, I mean if the Eagles don't win by double digits, I, I'd be pretty disappointed in this
3: one. I, I was wondering if th- maybe they suspend Bostic for the whole year because they, they did that last year with Vontez Perfect. Right. I mean you probably sh- you probably should.
2: Yeah. Like that is a dangerous play and a play you can't have. So uh, the Cowboys are a mess and they uh, uh, couldn't be coming to town at a better time for the Eagles. Two one five five nine two. Nine four nine four. Um when we get back, we will uh talk a little bit about uh what happened in baseball last night. As much as I don't really want to talk about it, um as ever since I called Clayton Kershaw the biggest choke artist in the history of sports, he has bounced back with a couple decent outings. I'll give him a little bit of credit, even though um I think the Rays kind of let him off the hook last night. And I think the Rays. over-analytical approach kind of came back to bite him. So we'll talk about that a little bit next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly uh, with you for one more segment here. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Thank you to John Skrillo on Twitter who sends me a screenshot of Rick uh, Scangrello's um, coaching history. To confirm that I was wrong about that and that Mike was correct. So uh, congratulations once again, Mike, uh, on being right about your Rich, Rick, whatever it is, Scangarello trivia. Uh, that uh, you, you got me on that one. Thank you. Congratulations. Um, so uh, talking most of the night about the Eagles and the NFC East. And uh, the fact that as much as this team has been frustrating, as much as the quarterback's play has been erratic and inconsistent where he is goes through some of these moments where he's incredible and can put the team on his back in the fourth quarter and can carry a a, a banged up group of backups and practice squad guy squad guys and take them on these runs where you know hope looks lost and you find a way to come back and win games um while at other times being incredibly inconsistent, reckless with the ball, turning the ball over at an alarming rate, despite all of this, the Eagles week after week seemingly find themselves in a better position as far as going to the playoffs. And after what I've seen from the Cowboys in their last two games, what I've seen from Washington and the Giants this year, I think it's a virtual certainty that the Eagles are going to the playoffs. Like, I just don't see any way that Washington wins this division or the Giants win this division or a Cowboys team without Dak Prescott wins the NFC East. So you look ahead now and you kind of project forward. The Eagles should be getting healthy toward the end of the season. They have a track record of playing their best football in December and playing their best football at the end of the year. And, you know, I don't know how you couldn't be dramatically more positive and dramatically more excited about this team now than you were just days ago. And, yeah, I know they struggled to beat the Giants by one point at home. And it, it, it's got to be better than that. But based on the track record this team has and the fact that they should be getting healthier as this season moves forward, there's a lot to feel good about with this team and I think they will improve to the point um, where they will be able to, to get to the playoffs and who knows what happens once you get there I don't care if you get in at six nine and one five ten and one as long as you get in you've accomplished half the battle and and when you look at it moving forward and we'll talk about this more tomorrow I didn't think that the Eagles would or should be buyers at the trade deadline. But when your probability of making the playoffs has got to be, I think around 60% right now, um, I'd look more into that. And I feel pretty good about where this team's headed, despite the struggle so far this year. So been talking about that, talking about the Cowboys as they now possibly might co- come in here next Sunday night without Andy Dalton. Um, they have a Third-string player Ben Denucci from James Madison. Uh, who knows? We'll see if they make a trade this week. Guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick are out there. Mike's, Mike's boy, uh, Jameis Winston's out there. Who knows what, what the Cowboys could do to try to save their season. But either way, this is a game the Eagles should dominate on uh, Sunday night and should find a way to win this one easily. So we've been discussing that uh, throughout the course uh, of the show. And – uh, I did want to touch on Game 5 of the World Series before we got out of here. Uh, because the Dodgers are now one game away from capturing their first title. And how many years is their drought right now? 32. 32? Uh, it feels like they've been one game away several times.
3: It, was it just the one year against the Astros? Yeah, it's just the one year. The Red Sox won. They really weren't. And the only game they won was the 18-in game. With uh, Max Muncie's walk-off. That's right. That that made it 2-1, so you never really felt like they were going to win that one.
2: That's right. And, you know, I was watching more of this game than the Sunday night game. And the Sunday night game was a good game between Seattle and Arizona. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was obviously watching more of the baseball game because I was hoping to see what we have seen so many times, which is Clayton Kershaw choke. Um, Not often this year, though. And it was this close to happening. And my fingers are very close together right now. Um, as the game starts, and Tyler Glass now for uh, Tampa was all over the place to start that game. They were lucky he got through as many innings as he did and only gave up three runs because he was uh, way out of the strike zone in the first inning. Um, and uh, the the Dodgers take a 3-0 lead. And then you the, the Rays were able to get a couple back. By the way, Kershaw really dodged a bullet in the first inning, by the way, too, with a Rosarena, that ball that just went foul. That was another lucky, lucky moment for
3: Kershaw. Um, I think Glassnow was in for Muncie's home run, so he may have given up all four.
2: Really? Okay, you might be right on that. Yeah. Well, anyway, we, we get to the bottom of the fourth inning, and the Rays, I understand the way they they play and the way they approach the game. And they are, in a lot of ways, as successful as they are because they are so hyper-focused on the analytical side of it. They're a team that's going to hit home runs, and they're not really worried about doing anything else. They're not really worried about moving runners. They're not worried about getting guys in. But they have a situation in the fourth inning, and this is where... It is a little frustrating watching baseball nowadays. Um, And I'm not an anti-analytical person. I think, uh, you know, in most sports, especially baseball, that is where things are headed. But the Rays were a victim of being a slave to analytics in this game because they end up with runners on first and third with nobody out. And then they bring... Joey Wendell will play a terrible bat where he's trying to you know hit a three-run homer. He pops it up. Then uh, Adamas, who this guy can't hit at all in this postseason, uh, he comes up and has maybe the worsted bat I've seen in a big spot where the right side of the infield is wide open. And I'm not one of these people who says, oh, just lay down the bunt and, and do that. But when the right side of the infield's wide open and you guy, you have a guy on third with one out in Game Five of the World Series, wouldn't you try to hit it there instead of trying to hit the ball out of the park, Mike? Like I, I, I thought the Rays not changing their approach at all in that spot probably cost them the game. That was their chance to get Kershaw, and they didn't take advantage of it.
3: Yeah, I don't see them as a team that that plays that way the, the way you do. But I, I, I mean, I get what you're saying that um, that that one inning, if you watched it, I guess you would you. Think that they're like the, the 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 twins or somebody like that with the launch angle thing. Um, yeah, I mean they, they squandered an opportunity. They had, they had Kershaw on the ropes, and you know I, I agree with you. You could kind of sense that something could have happened if um, you know things just went a little bit differently.
2: I wanted to see it so bad too. I really did, and I, I don't. I know you did. I don't know why. I it's not like I I have anything against Clayton Kershaw. I just enjoy seeing him choke, um, and I wanted that that storyline to continue. But it still could. You know, if this thing gets to a game seven, Dave Roberts can't help himself. He's got to go back to Kershaw. He loves Kershaw. But he did take him out early in this game. He was, wor- he was worried about about something bad happening. He took him out after like two pitches in the sixth inning uh, where he got two two outs on two pitches. Right. And went to the— I, Dave Roberts overmanages. He really does. He makes some weird moves that, that don't work out a lot of the time.
3: I thought going to Jansen in, in Game 4 was a big mistake. Um, I don't know. Like A lot of that was like on the, the Dodgers' defense, though. Like I don't know how much of that was Jansen. Yeah, well, but, I mean, he gave up the hit. It was going to be a tie game anyway. Well, if Taylor doesn't bobble the ball, that's the first thing that goes wrong. Yeah,
2: I, I just think Jansen's been a disaster all postseason. He he, yeah. he hasn't been the same guy for years, uh, but... I don't know. There's something about the Dodgers. I just don't want them to win. I, I just don't like their organ. I don't like. I don't like Kershaw. I don't like Roberts. Even so though wh- I just said two minutes ago, I I didn't have a problem with Kershaw. So I guess why, I do. yeah, why do you not like Kershaw? I don't like, know. Do I 10. just 10. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't like him for the same reason I don't like Ryan Fitzpatrick crying about getting benched. I don't know. I just I I'd like to see I like to see people fail, Mike, and that makes me happy. Hmm. That brings me joy, and I like to see Clayton Kershaw fail. Um, and what was this take you wanted to get out there? You were very bothered by a picture that was circulating.
3: Uh, <laughs> it it kind of looked ridiculous.
2: No, our buddy Tim Kelly had put this on Twitter. Um, Via and, Kayla. Yeah, and he, and he courtesied uh, <laughs> Kayla Harper's Instagram, where apparently uh, Bryson and JT and the wives were out to dinner in Las Vegas. I guess uh, Bryce Harper... Um, Doing some recruiting, even though I guess he doesn't really need to recruit JT. They're, they're buddies. Uh, but you were, bo- you, you. This was a very cowherd like take of you, Mike. You were very bothered by the backwards hats. Yeah, when you that Harper and <laughs> JT
3: had on here. Well, I mean, the, the franchise's two best players wearing their hats backwards, and the other thing that made it look ridiculous is that they're not fitted hats. Like that, they have the little snap. Why <laughs> do you care about this? It just it looks. I don't know, they're out to dinner and they're wearing like non fitted hats backwards. It just kinda looks a little like a little ridiculous, a little childish.
2: I mean let the guy, let the guys do what they want to do. They're wearing backward hats. Maybe they think it's more comfortable that <laughs> I, way. I know you agree with me. No, I, do, I really don't uh, I don't have a pro I didn't even notice it until you said that. You just told me. You're like, oh Colin Coward would be would be uh would be very disturbed by this, but it, it doesn't seem to me like he would be you, I, it you, seems to me like you're very disturbed.
3: You know, when he said that, um, I, obviously I thought it was silly. It was a pretty like weird thing to hone in on. But then for the next couple of weeks, I kind of like kept it in the <laughs> back of my mind while watching like other press conferences, and like he's kind of right. What? Right about what? No other quarterback like goes up like that. <laughs> I, I I do like the voice that he did. Yeah. for Carson
2: Wentz. I've never been to a back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very odd. I don't know you and Colin Coward. It's a very odd thing. To get so upset by is a guy wearing his hat backwards. Hey, some of the boys had beers last weekend. Hey, hey. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I I don't. I personally don't wear backwards hats, but it also doesn't offend me. In He's this, quarterback, and you, you got here. <laughs> so we <laughs> Such a weird thing to get so upset by. I don't understand it.
3: No, but I'm telling you, like, keep an eye on like quarterback press conferences the, the rest of the year oh um, yeah i'll do except that except cam newton's you know his will be a little more weird but yeah i mean like like brady Rodgers, like they don't go
2: up wearing backwards hats okay i mean I, whatever if they did i wouldn't really care about it i just i don't know it's a weird take Mark. do you agree though it looks no, no well, i don't the, agree I, can I don't finish care? my question can
3: i finish my question sorry yeah, sorry. it does look it looks worse when it's not a fitted hat backwards I guess. I don't know. Okay, we agreed on something. I'm not really. It, now, if it's not a fitted hat,
2: is that, is that what a trucker hat is? What constitutes a trucker I think a trucker
3: hat, it's more of like the, the, uh, like the holes in the crown of the hat.
2: Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm confused with what a trucker hat is. What's a baseball cap? I don't know. I don't really wear hats that much. Um, But maybe that's... I'm not a hat wearer like you. That's why I don't get so offended when people wear their hat backwards. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll continue this conversation. Hopefully we don't continue this conversation tomorrow, <laughs> uh, but, uh, that's the show tonight. Thank you to Mike Angelina for producing. Next up, we'll talk to
0: Al for the overlap show. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?